Okay, so this is the one with the bear and the bird in the backpack, right? <laughs> no? Yeah, that's that's the one. You sure? Yeah, the bird's voiced by uh, Doogie Hauser's best friend. That's the one. Okay, great. What the actual fuck is Jack and Daxter? Today on... <laughs> No, 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 we don't do that anymore. <laughs> I didn't do all the ed- additional. I just hummed no. it. This is refined, <laughs> dignified. Okay. A podcast for the retro community at its finest. Except for the B game thing, you know. That and I'm apparently controversial. So there we go. Well, yeah, motherfucker, when you put Zillion on your top five, <laughs> that's going to cause some opinions. Yeah, yeah. No regrets. Not a single letter. <laughs> I tried playing Zillion, and this is going to be the first tangent. I tried playing Zillion. I died in the first, like, five minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's anywhere. It's it's brutal. It took me years to beat that game as a child. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't know. It's wild. I'm going to give it more of a shot, though. Anyway. Back to uh, the, uh, what is it, Wallaby and the Robot? Is that the one we're talking about? Uh, yeah, it's the... Uh... <laughs> The one with the, the robot sidekick, the right? The wombat. Yeah, the wombat and Clank. Yeah, no, no. We're we're talking about Jack and Daxter today. I thought it was Jack and Webster. I know there's a there's a lot of uh humanoid and non humanoid pairings out there in the game <laughs> world. But specifically we're talking about Jack and Daxter today. Especially that generation, right? It's just to start off with, it was a saturated market. <laughs> it kinda was. I, you know, back in the day, and I'm, I'm kind of with you on this. Back then, Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank, I pretty much thought they were basically the same thing. Right. And I guess to a degree, they are similar enough to where I suppose that confusion could be understood. The only, the only thing is, I, I'm not a, I don't know a ton about Ratchet and Clank. I've not played that one. My brother played a bunch of them. I watched him play through bits and pieces of each. Um, but the only thing they really have in combat is once you get to the second Jack and Daxter game, there's a lot of gun combat. And Ratchet okay. and Clank is, I think, heavy on the gun combat as well as, you know, bashing your enemies with melee. I think okay. I think Ratchet specifically uses a wrench. You know, Jack just sort of punches people. Okay. So <laughs> Okay, so maybe... Because, yeah, I, I've seen you stream a little bit, but I'm mostly working and have you on the background. So I'm mostly just listening to you guys talk. I, I haven't really paid much attention to you streaming Jack and Daxter. What little I've seen looks interesting. It looks like a neat game. But I know nothing about this, so I'm going to be relying on you to kind of explain what the hell this game is. Because it's made by Naughty Dog. I like their it stuff. <laughs> They're a AAA developer. They're a really well-known developer. I had no idea that they made Jack and Daxter. So maybe explain what... what Maybe the characters are what this game is. Well, let's first let's take a step back away from Ratchet and Clank a little bit to sort of distinguish this from it. So as you as you get into Jack Two, which is probably the most like Ratchet and Clank because it has the most similar combat. Right. It's also got a lot of vehicle 
missions or quests or whatever you want to call them. Um, and that was a big addition to that game as well as the gun combat. Now, when okay. you step back to the first Jack and Daxter game, you lose the gun combat. It's virtually non-existent. There's maybe two or three points in the game, in the first game, where you're actively have to be in first-person mode and shooting projectiles with a certain power-up. Okay. And that's kind of it for that. Otherwise, it's just a it's a platforming collectathon. That's what Jack and Daxter One is. It's very much in the vein of Banjo Kazooie, Donkey right. Kong sixty four, Mario sixty. It's just run around, find stuff, complete missions, move on. <laughs> At its core, that's what it is, and it's great. Okay, what kind of moves do you have? You said punching, so like I guess like Mario sixty four. Um, it's when you punch, he sort of dashes forward. So it's not just a punch. It's like a a dash through your enemy kind of move. Okay. And then you have a spin kick. So the spin kick hits everything around you in a small radius, whereas the dash attack, you zoom through an enemy. So you, okay. you end up moving quite a bit, but it's very directional. Okay, so character platformer, but then it's Jack and Daxter. So Jack is like a humanoid? What's Daxter? Jack is, yeah, he's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Jack is a human. He's got elf ears. He's clearly not a human per se. That's what he is. Daxter was the same race as Jack. And at the very beginning, so this is not spoilers. This is right off the bat, like as soon as you start the game. The very beginning of the Jack and Daxter series, they're off exploring some island that they're not supposed to be. Okay. Daxter falls into what is called dark eco. You can call it whatever you plasma, whatever. Eco is the energy source of this world. It's the source of magic and power and so forth. Okay. He falls in what's called dark eco because there are different types of eco. Well, dark eco is usually bad for you. Daxter falls in the dark eco, comes out a little furry animal that they call an otzel, which is a combination of an otter and a weasel. Is this like an animal that's like a normal animal all across the planet, or is this like a unique magical creature? That's the thing. Now, I'm going to drop a spoiler here. <laughs> How old's this game? <laughs> well, it, to be fair, this is... So what Daxter is, this is a spoiler for the third game. Okay. <laughs> so at the end of the trilogy, you come to find out that the Otzels that Daxter has become, they're not a creature that exists in this world. I don't know how they came to be that like, they're just like, yeah, he's an Otzel. They are the, actually the ancient race, the precursors. Oh, okay. Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. Otzels, the precursors are Otzels. And in the third game, you find that out because you meet some. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's that's a little more interesting than saying, like, I say I fall into Dark Eco tomorrow and, and I come out as a raccoon. Nobody gives a fuck about a raccoon. They're everywhere. But right. if I come back as, like, you know, I don't know, big-headed alien or something, progenitor race, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of neat, actually, that that carries through the story. I thought that was super cool. In playing through the series on my stream, I've had some people come through and say that they didn't really care for that twist. Right. When I, when I happened upon that, I was like, okay, that's pretty rad. 
and it makes Daxter a little cooler than he was because he's usually the comic relief, abrasive, kind of a jackass. That was like, okay, Daxter is actually now this mythical race of creature. And all of a sudden, you go all the way back to the beginning and you're like, did they have that planned from the get-go or did they have to sort of retcon that in from the second game on? Like, when did they come up with that, you know? Oh, I love that stuff. I eat that stuff up. But the whole origins of a world type of th- stuff that loops around and just, like, the origins of the universe. Like, Mass Effect does it. Uh, you know, Assassin's Creed has it to a degree. I love that kind of stuff. I love when a game series can do that. But it's an interesting question of, did they know how popular the series would be that it would get three, four games? Or or did they just kind of make up as they go along? Because that's tough to do. Yeah, and the the first game is very pretty. It came out in 2002, I think. Uh, 2001. Uh, my my mom tells me this. <laughs> okay. And then there was kind of a stretch. So, yeah, 2003 is when Jack 2 came out. 2000, or, yeah, 2003 is when Jack 2 came out. 2004 is when Jack 3 came out. So, Jack 2 and 3, I think there was a little more intent behind the story planning between those two knowing that they were going to produce them in succession pretty quickly. So there are certain things that happen in the first game that seemingly have no impact on the future games. It seems like there was some stuff they had intended from the get-go and some stuff they hadn't considered or maybe they redirected or something. Right. But I'm thinking the Otzel thing was always kind of intended. That's my guess. I, I have no bearing on that other than... That's just how I feel it seems. <laughs> I can see I can see that. Because so. you have a little bit of a, you know, lore building between the main characters and stuff, but you kinda the the scenario, I guess, can be whatever they want it to be, but have that deep lore when they want to pull it out. Maybe what's yeah. the, the basic story of the first game? Because again, I don't know. Is it is there finding a cure for Daxter or to change him back? Yes. It actually starts off as So the story kicks off with Daxter falling into the dark eco. There are sages for each of the types of eco. So there's green eco, blue eco, red eco, yellow eco, and dark eco. Your Jack was kind of raised by the guy who, the sage for green eco, Samos. Samos is like, well, I can't help you. You shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. You're a bunch of morons. But (laughs) if anybody can help you, it's the sage for dark eco, Gull. You're like, okay, so let's go try to find Gaul. And in the process, you find out that, you know, to try and get to him, you have to go through all the other sages' lands. And as you're going through their lands, you find out, you know, this sage has gone missing, that sage has gone... So all the sages have gone missing. Okay. And over time, you learn that Gaul and his protege, Maya, have been corrupted by the Dark Eco and are trying to release all all the dark eco they can find into the world and corrupt it. So I was going to ask, so the dark eco, is that automatically an evil element? And when you first started talking, it didn't sound like it was, but now it makes me think that dark eco sage is always a bad guy, or you're saying he was corrupted and turned evil. He started, they don't really say what happened to him, but yes, the dark eco in some way corrupted him, and he's okay. been using it to make himself more powerful. And so here's an interesting aside. The villain, Gaul, 
is voiced by D. Snyder. Do you know who that is? Uh, that's not the guy from Twisted Sister, is it? It is. <laughs> no. So the villain is voiced by the lead singer of Twisted Sister. And he they got does, him to do the voice. They did. He does a good job. Oh, hold on. <laughs> like, I, you know, you're going through it. If you don't know it's him, you don't realize it's him. You just assume, okay, this is some voice actor who... You know, he does a lot of good work with the character. You hear him, like, gasping, and they animate the crap out of those gasps for air because he's supposed to be this old and decrepit human and or person. And he's just like, you know, he... <gasps> as he's talking, he just has these gasps for oxygen like he's having trouble breathing, and he's very That's... breathy, and he does such a good job. So in the end credits when I saw it was Dee Snyder, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is wild. I'm looking at a video. I'm watching a video right now. How the hell do you get him casted for a video game voice acting? He's a fucking rock legend. (laughs) Especially in 2002. Like, all I can figure is maybe he was a fan of the Crash Bandicoot series publicly. Oh, maybe. And so Naughty Dog said, hey, we got a new franchise in the works. You want to voice the villain? You know? That's that's all I can assume how it went down. Again, I wish I had the time to do the research on this this week because that would have been rad to know this stuff. But uh, I don't know. Maybe the listeners out there have some clues and can inform us on Twitter. Do you know what? He he also did... looks like he played a character in SpongeBob SquarePants. I think it's a TV show or a movie. It might have been the movie. Oh, movie and the TV show, it looks like. And then he's also done a couple commercials... And then he's in Cobra Kai. You know what? He he's done other stuff besides saying it. I'm amazed that they got this guy to. <laughs> now I want to watch more of this. I did not realize he was in this. It's hilarious. It's like it's yeah, like getting so, Lars to do something for Crash Bandicoot. Like it's just so yeah. out there. Well, they they got two major voice uh, voices for this game. So D. Snyder is the villain, and then Max Casella or Casella. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, I assume it's Casellas. The best friend of Doogie Hauser from, you know, way back in the 80s and oh, 90s. Shit. <laughs> He's the voice of wow. Daxter. That's crazy. I haven't even thought that about that guy in <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> I had that show to the list of things I got to show my kids and make them watch. <laughs> and Doogie I mean, Hauser. at the time, you wouldn't think of either of them as the forefront of voice actors, but no. they're they're good voices. They were good at the roles they played for these games. They nailed it. <laughs> so those were sort of the celebrity power of the first game. <laughs> the friend from Doogie Hauser and the guy from Twisted Sister. That's wild. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's not to discount the other voice actors because there are other voice actors in this who have done, have an immense, you know, filmography or gameography, whatever you want to call right. it, of voice work. And they're excellent voice talent, but... They actually went outside the voice actor realm and got other talent that was, you know, more conventionally known at the time to voice these characters, which is pretty rad. Well, it's interesting. You know what? Max Casella, though, actually had more of a career, too, after Doogie Hauser. I didn't realize this. He was on Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire. He's in a few different things. Yeah, he went wow. on to sort of play the, uh, you know, sleazy greaser type. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's basically who he was in Doogie Howser. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it's just, he's just a teenager, but that's okay. That's yeah. wild. 
Yeah, you know what? But you know what? That's Naughty Dog, though, right? Naughty Dog has always had really great voice casting, I think, for all their franchises. Yeah, because even in uh, Crash Bandicoot, Cortex was a good... They, like, he did well. Yeah. I know there were other voices. I can't think of them offhand. All I ever remember is Crash saying, Wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they've always been good with the voice casting. So I, it doesn't surprise me, I guess, even with this. Like, this is... That's the thing I got to remind myself about Jack and Daxter is that it's Naughty Dog, right? I mean, I don't, they don't do this kind of game anymore. But everything they've done has pretty, been pretty much quality, right? Quality AAA games, for sure. And they definitely have the budget. At the time of Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot was huge. Yeah. And, you know, all, all the, the artwork, animation, the music, everything about Crash, uh, Crash Bandicoot was top tier for the PS1. Yeah. And then the PS2 came out, and they did Jack and Daxter. And the first Jack and Daxter game looks really good. And then you move on to Jack and Daxter, or Jack 2 and 3. And, the, you know, the graphical quality of 2 and 3 is just magnified by tons. It's ridiculous. Uh, the downside to the follow-up, at least two so far, because I'm not on three yet again, but uh, the music quality in two took a steep drop-off. The oh. first one had a really good soundtrack and a really varied soundtrack, whereas the second one doesn't seem to have that. Oh, that's right, because when I, when I caught you streaming it, you had the soundtrack yeah, turned I've, off. I've started using Rainwave as the soundtrack during... My Jack 2 streams just because the loops are short. We're talking under a minute most of the time. Oh, wow. And there's not a lot of them yet. I I just kind of have Rainwave going and turn it down for cutscenes when the music is there for those. It's it's <laughs> interesting because so this is PS2. And I know that there's a lot of that on the PS2, right? The first batch of games in the PS2 were not that stellar. I find graphically compared to the PS1. And I know that the system was famously hard to develop for, and I chalk it up to that. But after a few years after release of the system, you really saw a jump in graphical fidelity for games as they learned how to take advantage of the hardware. But I'm wondering if for Jack and Daxter 2, they had to take some shortcuts with, you know, maybe the audio quality or reducing the size of the files to kind of squeeze in more graphic power. That might be the case, actually. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. I'd heard um, there's a remake or a, a bundle of the three games that came out. Is that what you're playing now? So I'm playing the collection on the PS4. I right. have it on PS2, but the PS4 is just easier for me to hook up and play. And, yeah. you know, I bought it for the PS4 a couple of years ago, excited to play through them again. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll play the PS4 version because it's widescreen, higher definition, all that. It, just know if you go into these on the PS4 rather than the PS2, you're gonna see some weird visual glitches that weren't there in the originals because yeah. it's emulated. Oh, but is it really? The game, the gameplay is still there. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I believe they did like an emulator wrapper for it, which I mean, given oh. that it's all PlayStation hardware, it's not that bad. Yeah, I think even the PS3. Yeah. Yeah, the PS3 collection was also emulated, I believe. Huh. I'm I'm not entirely sure how they ported it, but yeah, it's I don't I don't think it was completely reprogrammed for the console. Okay, it's interesting because like uh, Spiral Reignited was done from the ground up. That was mostly because they didn't have the code for the originals. But uh, I mean, I did a little bit of research on this. I didn't want to go do too much because you were going to explain Jack and Daxter. And but the, I was looking at reviews of that collection, 
and a lot of people are, are kind of upset with the frame rate of the second game that it's it's 30 frames sometimes it dips below that i don't know if that's a thing like how how is the the performance of the second game versus the first one you know what now that you mention it the frame rate does seem to uh not be as good as the first one but right. i mean that might have been the case on the ps2 as well cuz it was right. a lot more you know graphically taxing in general the animations are cleaner the there's a lot more detail going on on the characters in general um the gameplay is a lot more seamless there's no loading screens it's always you flow from one area to the next and that is the loading is like you step into an elevator and that's the loading or you step through a gated doorway and that's the loading so they don't break it up with loading screens at all in the second game and the first game really doesn't do much of that either it's it's usually pretty seamless flow from one area to the next and they load during those weird flows that they have. Yeah, that's that's really good design, and I love when games do that well. Like <laughs> examples of when not being done well is uh, the Mass Effect games, right? The first one is famous for having elevator loading screens, right, where you hear some dialogue between your characters, but then it's like a period of silence as the game still needs more time to load. So it's the <laughs> longest elevator <laughs> of the future ever. It's crazy. But when you have wow. a game that has that seamless, you know, from one area to another, like Skyrim, right? You go from one end of Skyrim to the other and never see a loading screen. I love when games do that. It makes that world really feel more lifelike. Yeah, and I had completely forgotten that Jack and Daxter did that. So playing through it, I was pretty impressed. I, I can't I can't lie. I was very surprised that that was the case going back to it. And having just come off the heels of playing was it Bowser's Fury? I was like, oh yeah, they've been doing this for a while. And <laughs> it's not I, new. <laughs> they is the, the game development industry in general. It was just like, man, has been around longer than we realized because, you know, you play a Mario game lately, even Mario Odyssey, it was like, you'd get the, the black screen between areas and things like that. And Jack and Daxter didn't do that. Bowser's Fury didn't do that. So it was, huh. it's cool to see how far back that goes. Well, it's fair too, because you're right, actually, because Odyssey, I mean, I like the game, but the maps, they're not small, but they're not huge either, right? And it's definitely not a seamless world. You're going from area to area separately on your ship. That's interesting. That's a modern game, but when we look back at Jack and Daxter, they had the more open, open-ended open world. Is, is yeah, it, like, it seems... Is it backtracking in it, or is it like exploring the world, or is it is still very linear? Uh, it's pretty linear. Um, there's backtracking if you don't collect everything in an area, then you have to go back. Okay. You can unlock shortcuts in the form of you get to a new sage's hut, you got a portal to that hut. Okay. So you can, you can teleport to major waypoints in the region because generally the huts are in a village. The village is a hub to a couple of areas that, you know, you can call them levels if you want. And... Those are all tracked individually as far as how many precursor orbs there are, how many power cells there are, and stuff like that. So, okay, I I say the first game is a -a collect-a-thon. Most levels in the first game have anywhere from four to eight energy cells to collect, and then 50 to 200... (laughs) Precursor orbs to collect. Get out of here. 
<laughs> what does this stuff actually get you though? Because that's my beef with with like I love banjo and Mario sixty four is good too, but I kind of couldn't touch Donkey Kong because just too much collectible crap. Like, what does this stuff unlock in the game for you? What does it do for you? So in the original, so not counting the PS4 because the PS4 tied a bunch of stuff to trophies. Okay. In the original, you only really needed to get something like 1,700 or 1,750 of the precursor orbs. You didn't need all of them by any means to get the stinger ending. And the stinger ending is garbage. Okay, so that's the bad one. All right. Yeah, the stinger ending vaguely hints at something to come in the next game. And then the next game doesn't even really look at what happened. And instead, like, they've completely transferred everything from this distant location from Jack and Daxter's home to right outside Jack and Daxter's home, which makes no sense because it's a big precursor gate. (laughs) So the story doesn't really carry from one to two that well then. It it does, but it doesn't. It just kind of throws the fact that the gate was miles away from their home. And they've instead moved the gate to right outside their hut. <laughs> and they're about to go through it and don't know what's on the other side. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they got a moving company, you know. Yeah, you get to see them open the gate. At the end of the second, or at the end of the first game, if you collect okay. 100 power cells, there are 101 power cells in the game. You only need to collect 100 of them to get that stinger ending. So right, there's 101, and you only need 100. Yeah, I'm not sure why there's 101 and not just 100. That seemed a little odd to me. <laughs> That's kind of a kind of an odd thing. You'd think so they I... would just require you collect every single one of them to yeah. get the special ending, but no. Okay, so for the orbs, though, how many orbs are in total, like, approximately? Like, 5,000? 2,000. Okay, so 2,000, you need, like, 75% to get the bad ending. Do you need all of them for the good ending? No, 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 no. Like, the stinger ending is the bonus stuff. So you don't need any of them to get the the, the normal ending. Like, you oh, just, whatever okay. you get, you get. That's the normal ending. You need about 75, 80% of them to get that extra stinger that's like, ah, something's going to happen. Oh, I get another you. game, oh. you know. Okay. All right. After credits. <laughs> it's like watching the new Spider-Man movie, and you, if the audience claps properly to the movie, they get to see that uh, teaser at the end of the credits. That's yeah. How it works. So I was, I was kind of, I was all gung-ho about doing the 100% in the, in the first game, and then I got that stinger, and I was like, Damn it, I'm mad at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of work. Like 100% but I mean, of these it, kind of games is tough. You know what? It wasn't that bad though. I think all in uh it was it was definitely under 9 hours. It might have been under 7 hours. In fact, oh. I think for me, not knowing what I was doing, speedrunners do this in a crazy amount of time, but Yeah, of course. I think me all in my file was at like 6 hours 46 minutes. Oh, so this is not nearly as long as I thought it would be. Because usually, usually these kind of games is a, is a time sink. But six hours is, is fine. Yeah, I think the first time I did it, I might have been closer to eight or nine hours back on right. the PS2. Just okay. because this time I kind of knew what I was doing and had a vague memory of certain things. And so I was I was able to speed up the process a little bit. 
But yeah, it's 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 not a huge time sink of a game, even if you do 100% it. It's just okay. 100%ing it is nothing but bragging rights. <laughs> well, hey, that's what trophies are for. Yeah, but back on the PS2, you didn't even get those, so. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, then you just did to brag to your friends. Uh, so, I mean, go back to the combat a little bit. So it's it's punching. There's a spin kick for AoE. So there's some stuff there to the combat, even if it is a collectathon. What is, like, the the bosses like? Is there is there bosses? Is there a lot of them? Are they fun? Like, like what's the setup of the game there? There are bosses. Um, I'm trying to think. There's the... There's a giant ogre-like lurker in the volcano. That was an interesting battle. I can't say it was super fun, but I can't. Al- I, I also can't say it was terribly frustrating or boring. It just was. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. Not everything's to be a winner, right? Yeah. Uh, the final boss fight was kind of frustrating. And were there any other boss fights in the middle of that? <laughs> Wow, those are the only two I remember. There had to have been another one. Because see, that's been a problem of mine with some of the the games like this, and, and even recent ones too, like uh, uh, Odyssey and um, 3D World. I, like the bosses are very forgettable, or just they're just like a non-issue. They're very easy to beat. So it's, it's I mean, it's better than frustrating. Because I remember when I was going through Spyro, I think it's the last boss where you have to chase them. There's a chase sequence, and that was ridiculously hard for me for no reason. So I hate it when these bosses are, I don't like it when they're forgettable, but I'll take forgettable over stupidly annoying and hard. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Okay. You know what? There was a, there was a boss before the ogre lurker thing. So there's a boss in the jungle level early on. And okay. it's, it's basically Audrey two, or if you're familiar with battle kid, the plant boss, it's basically that thing. Okay. Um, just in 3d. It's got vines all over the level that whip at you. And then when you're actually fighting it, it shoots little bugs. Like it sends little bugs at you that you got to kill. And those are puffed up with spikes most of the time. And then when they get, they, they, they lose their breath or whatever and they calm down, then you can hit them when they're not spiky. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So and they then sound a little you more take a Yeah. You take a whack at the plant's head when it gets tired after it's tried to bash you. You do that a few times, it you know, it gets a little faster, more intense, more stuff going on, and then you beat it. And once you beat that, all its vines that are all over the level are now limp. They stop attacking you. Okay. So it, it does change some things, but that was actually the location of the last few orbs I had to find in the game. They were just, I had to go back and hit the dead plant boss, and it dropped some orbs. That's kind of a that's kind of difficult to know they would be there, yeah. Yeah, I I just knew they were in that level. I didn't know where. And I happened to dash or jump or jump on its head or something, just trying to look around and an orb popped out of it. And I was like, wait, what? And so <laughs> I did that a few times and a few orbs popped out, and those were the last few orbs I had to collect. <laughs> that would that would infuriate me. I was right? I was ever so close to looking it up, but I didn't. And <laughs> You know, part of me was kind of mad that I didn't because I wasted a half hour or so looking for those orbs. And part of me was kind of proud that I actually happened to find those stupidly hidden orbs. I know. There, there's a satisfaction in, in getting everything in these games. But yeah I, oh, yeah, I get so frustrated finding them all. Now, as as much as I love the first game, I know 
most people really enjoy the first Jack and Daxter game. The second game is the one that starts to lose people because it does mix it up quite a bit. It becomes a little more like GTA. Big open world, city, more vehicle combat. Because the first game does have vehicles. There's, I, I liken them to turbo tunnel segments from Battletoads. That's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I mean, so there's there's a few segments where you ride these via, this uh, hover bike or whatever they call it in the game. Uh, the first time you're introduced to it is, I believe, oh man, gosh, I don't remember. There, so there's two times you're introduced to it early on, and I don't remember which one comes first. One is like a turbo tunnel kind of deal where you have to get through the, the lava pass without overheating. So you have to okay. hit these cooling balloons. You don't want to fall in the pits. You don't want to go too long without hitting the cooling balloons. Otherwise, you overheat, die, that okay. sort of thing. So it's there's that's how they made it have a bit of a an agency to that that area of the game. Okay. The other one is a more open traditional style level where you're cruising around exploring um trying to collect the orbs and power cells. That one was super frustrating to me. That was actually worse than the turbo tunnel style segments for me. <laughs> I, I don't see like I it's not that I dislike vehicle and vehicle combat. When it's done well, it could be fun, but more often than not, a lot of these games get it wrong, I think. And that's that's a shame. How how punishing is the the death system in this game? Like when you mentioned Turbo Tunnel, I'm getting flashbacks to <laughs> the lack of continues in freaking battle toads, right? After you only get so many. Is it does it punish you for dying in this? Not that punishing. Okay. So in the first ones that are more tur- turbo tunnel like, so Real quick to go back to the other one where it's more exploration on the vehicle. It's vehicle exploration and platforming. And so that's why I hated that segment. Because uh, there's platforming. Jumping in a car. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, yeah. it's a hover bike. So you get like the height, you go off ramps, things like that. But it's it's obtuse and it's frustrating. Right. Yeah, I <laughs> the get you. The turbo tunnel segment's pretty forgiving. There's, I want to say, three of them. The first one is, you know, running through the lava canyon and try not to overheat. The second one is about avoiding the obstacles. Most of the time, bombs, sometimes just not hitting a tree. If you hit a bomb on this thing, you're dead. You start back at the beginning. (laughs) This is the one that was the most frustrating and most punishing because if you die in this this section, no matter how close you are to the end, it puts you back at the beginning and it's a long segment. (laughs) <laughs> I can't stand so when you're, games do that. You're you're racing three enemies to the end. So this could probably be seen as one of the bosses. Okay. Yeah, it sounds about right. It's a race to the end of the course, I guess you'd call it. I don't know what you'd really call it. It's like a big valley laden with bombs and other obstacles, pits, things like that. Right. The goal is to beat them to the end without crashing. And I died here a lot. When you finally get to the end, it's over. You can go back and explore stuff freely on your own. But there are collectibles on that 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 route. <laughs> they want you to go so back you do and end race up again. Wanting to go, the bomb? No, you don't have to race again. But the bombs are still there. So if you bump into a bomb, oh. you blow up, you die. That's still ter- very frustrating. That's um, that's so even when you've beaten the boss and you just want to explore and find things, the collectibles, you can still hit these mines and blow up. Yes. Oh, that's terrible. 
And then the final Turbo Tunnel segment is probably the most forgiving one. It has three or four checkpoints. So if you die, it'll start you at a at a nearby point that doesn't set you too far back, usually. And you can just keep going. So I willfully died here a few times because I'd missed something and didn't want to have to go back to get it. So I'd, I'd miss it and then die and then come back and go through again, get it all and then keep going. Oh, yield death warp. And, you know, yeah. Thing. And at one point, the do. first time I died kind of far, I was all upset. I was like, no way. And then it put me at a checkpoint kind of up on a second tier that makes you drive off of it and back down into the first tier. So you're back in the course. Right. And so it's it's out of sight when you're actually driving it because you can't get to it without dying. But then they put you up at this checkpoint that you didn't know existed so that you're right back into it, which is pretty cool. It's it's nice and unforgiving. It makes it a little less stressful as you're coming up on the end of the game, especially when the last Turbo Tunnel segment was a race where you die a ton. So getting rid of that was kind of a nice a nice change. Yeah, no, that sounds okay. I'm just skimming the, the plot details. This actually sounds like an interesting game. Like I, I never had a PS2, right? I've always said that I have a huge gap in my retro of knowledge, and PS2 is definitely in the middle of that. Like the ratings in this game are insane. Like it's ninety percent of Metacritic. Uh, back in the day, Gamespot gave it like eight point eight. Uh, Fumetsu gave it thirty, thirty-four out of fifty. No, what is it? It's out of forty, I think. Right? Is it forty? I think from 34 to 34 to 40. Yeah. Which is like really high for Fumitsu, like for a US game anyway. So that's good. <laughs> this, this game is well freaking reviewed. Do you want to maybe explain the ending a little bit just to see how it ties up? Well, the game has a lot going for it. It's uh, the only major issue the game has, in my opinion, is the camera. And I mean, it's 2002. Well, what 3D yeah. game didn't have an issue with the camera back then in some way, shape, or form? No matter how good the game was the camera probably sucked unless it was first person. And even then. So the PS2 <laughs> has a um, dual shocks. There's two joysticks on that thing. And I always point to Mario 64 with the C buttons and how it, it, there's got to be a better way. So how did the uh, PS2 and Jack and Daxter handle the camera? The camera has a hard time dealing with walls. Okay. In that if there's a wall in the way, it doesn't let the camera turn at all. Instead oh. of letting the camera kind of zoom in real close to Jack and Daxter, it once it bumps into a wall, it's slow on the zoom in because it's running into the wall first, and then that's pushing it forward. So the camera is sort of a physical object in the 3D space around Jack and Daxter. Right. And it has trouble navigating the world around them, <laughs> if that makes sense. If there are obstacles in the way, the camera can't clip through, it doesn't... It it doesn't intentionally let it go through a wall and let you see the platforming aside from that or anything like that or just zoom in really easily. Instead, it's just where it is and you kind of have to deal with the clunkiness of that. That's the downside. So everything about the game right. is great except that. <laughs> well, how is... So, yeah, that would be frustrating. And like you said it right. I mean, 2002, what, what game actually had a good camera, right? It's It's even now 3D games struggle with proper camera control. But um, yeah, you said platforming. So how how is the platforming in this game? 3D platforming has always been kind of dicey. How do they handle it? Um, the platforming is actually really tight. And 
I think the only time I ever ran into issue with my platforming is when I tried to do a long jump. So that's another going back to base mechanics of the game. Jack can <laughs> double jump or long jump. So if you do okay. a dodge roll, you can you've got a boost of speed, you hit jump, he does a long jump. It's much it's much like Mario 64, you're running, you hit the Z button and then jump and you know right. he slides a little and does the long jump. It's like that except you start with a dash roll and then he jumps out of that. Okay. So you have to have like it inherently has a certain distance of running start before the jump takes off. And that dash would often not be completely in line with where I was intending Jack to go. <laughs> and okay. once that dodge jump, once that dodge roll dash jump has started, that's the direction Jack is going. That's kind of it. There's no canceling. <laughs> it just you just go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. The double jump is a lot more forgiving, and it reaches almost as far, especially if you do the spin kick at the end of the double jump. It's kind of like you jump, you get the double jump, and then you spin, and you've got extra distance from all of that. But it's it doesn't go nearly as far as the dash jump. Yeah, because yeah. the okay. spin the spin kick slows his fall a little bit. It's treated as like, oh no, he, you know, he, he, somehow Jack has this magical helicopter power. By spinning. <laughs> I was just going to ask, um, like all these moves are Jack's move. Does Daxter do anything? Or is he literally just comic oh, relief? He, he, he's, in the first game, he's total comic relief. Oh, you die, geez. he makes fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's that's kind of it. And occasionally, I don't remember how much, it, I don't think it was often in the first game. In the second game, if you're kind of get, if the game kind of thinks you're stuck somewhere, Daxter will chime in and give you an idea of what to do, which okay. is really cool. And they also incorporate him a little bit in the in the second game and on, like when you're driving, you can still shoot your gun because Daxter is perched on Jack's shoulder, whips out the big ass gun and shoots it. Oh. <laughs> okay. So they they sort of implemented him a little better, uh, functionally and mechanically in the second game than the first game. Okay, the first game is basically a story of trying to save Daxter. Oh no, the bad guy who can save Daxter is more out to kill everybody. Right. <laughs> and you've got to stop him. So that like for Daxter it's sort of this moral dilemma, do we save the world or do I get my original body back? Okay. It, he doesn't struggle with it for long. He's not that bad of a character. He's just kind of an asshat. <laughs> well, you know, Level Blastle is a, a great trope. <laughs> so, but like, I guess the, so the story is to, to find, uh, was it Gull? Right, Gull and Maya. Gull and Maya. So you, you want to find these guys, but then how does the, the precursor uh, thing fit into it? So the world is scattered with all sorts of ancient technology. Ruins, giant robots, platforms, whatever have you, all sorts of machinery that is supposed to be from the precursors, which is theoretically, you know, I already spoiled that a long gone civilization. And they're, they're trying to use this technology along with the dark eco to rule the world and reshape it the way they want it. Oh, so the precursors were evil. (laughs) No, Gaul and Maya are evil. Oh, Gaul and Maya. Okay. 
Okay. So I, I, I guess I dropped the ball on the detail there. But yeah, Gaul and Maya are trying to use this technology as well as the dark eco to take over the world. Okay. Yeah, see, I love that stuff. Ancient civilizations, even when it's made up fantasy. <laughs> I'm all about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they, they did it. They did a pretty good job of all the... I, I guess the first game doesn't have a ton of character depth or development so much as just... I mean, Daxter is really the only character that gets developed in the game. I mean, Jack never talks in the first game. He doesn't get a voice until the second game. Oh, really? And then, so it's just grunts yeah. and groans and that's it? If that. Oh, He's wow. generally okay. pretty quiet. Huh. And and they make a point of that at the beginning of the second game when he wakes up and says, Daxter? He's like, wait, you you talk? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The fourth wall humor. I love that kind of stuff, too. So then he gets more voice in the second game or like is it is he talking in the second game more or just, just oh yeah just he's lines? he's a fully fleshed out developed character who is i mean it's 2002 or no at this point it's 2004 so right. you know everything's got to be gritty and dark and brooding and angry <laughs> and so that's how jack is and that's how another main character of the game is. And they're doing right. it. To, and I kind of made fun of it when I saw it this time around. I was like, they are Batman. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one he gets a gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was looking at some screenshots or uh, like a or character art. And there's one with him holding like, uh, like it looks like a future, a future shotgun or something. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It is quite dark. It's very mature looking. It's not the cute and funny thing I thought it would be. Yeah, the second game. So the first game is, you know, very vibrant colors, very bright scenery, humorous, but light, mostly lighthearted humor. And then, you know, there's the big bad who you barely see. And then right. it the ending sort of culminates in this big battle between Jack and Daxter and uh, Gaul and Maya in a giant robot trying to open the. Oh, what was the the silos of dark eco to spill it into the world? Okay. And the you end up doing something that causes light eco to come into existence. And then as soon as you touch that as like the final phase of the boss fight, that ends the fight. Jack goes kind of like glowy white super powered and the game takes over with a cutscene. And he okay. just demolishes them, drops them into the dark eco, the silo closes. Presumably that's the end of them. Well, I'm assuming they come back in the in the sequel. <laughs> they don't. You never see them again. What? Really? Right. You never but... see them again. And like even the game kind of like tongue in cheek sort of throws out the idea that they'll be back because they're like, that probably killed them. Probably. <laughs> so they. OK, so you have all this work in developing a villain. And you kill him off. They hint they're coming back, and they never do. Not even the third game? Cameo? Anything? Mm-mm. So the Wild. second and third game take place way in the future. That that gate that I mentioned that they moved to outside Samos' hut at the beginning right. of the second game oh, it's sends them to world. the future. Oh, the future. So it's like okay. this this massive dystopian future. And... They don't learn that until a little way into the second game. So the bad guy in the, so, in the second game is completely separate from the, the original game. Correct. There's technically two major villains in the second game. 
Um, one is the guy who controls the city, Baron Praxis, and one is the leader of the new monster types called the Metalheads. Okay. This, again, 2004. <laughs> yeah. Nothing says gritty like, you know, killer robots. Can Can you imagine if Mario, at the first game, you have Bowser, and then for the second game, they're like, no, let's, uh, let's bring in Wario. Well, actually, no, they did. Kind of. Super Mario USA has Wart as the bad guy. But but you can imagine that they just like killed off Bowser <laughs> and he switched to a new villain for the, the future games. Yeah, How right. How weird would that be? I wonder, so we, going back to the beginning where we said that we were wondering, you know, how much of the plot and lore of Jack and Daxter they actually planned ahead for the trilogy. But when you have the first game, it sounds like the first game is really quite standalone from the, the second and third game then. Yeah, I, I would venture to say that if they had planned anything for subsequent games, probably a good 75, 80% of that got thrown out of the window and yeah. refreshed and redirected for the, the sequels. No, that's interesting. I really, now I wonder the development behind the scenes um, where their thinking was with this. Like the first one was more of a cute 3D platformer much like, you know, a lot of them other people are doing, and they want to kind of break away from that, set themselves apart on the PS2 with the grittier style, adding guns, dystopian future, like really taking the narrative for a turn. But it's it's almost weird they didn't, like, make a different franchise, different characters for that game. Like, does it still feel like Jack and Dexter in the, in the sequel? Or is it, it like, it, really off the ball? No, it, the platforming is still very Jack and Dexter. I mean, okay. it's... It's essentially Jack and Daxter, but there's vehicles thrown in the mix. So you and I mean there was already the hover the the hover bike in the first game. Right. So basically, they had this thing at Naughty Dog where they just as they went through the Jack series, they also really wanted to experiment more and more with vehicle mechanics in the game. And this I know for sure because I've seen some behind the scenes with the Naughty Dog guys talking about this. So that's how they went with, you know, Jack 1 has just the hover bike and the turbo tunnel segments. Jack 2 is very much GTA inspired. Jack 3 goes a step further and throws you driving around out in the wastelands in a dune buggy, shooting up raiders and things like that. So it's very oh. Mad Max. And like then, Borderlands, I guess. Yeah, Borderlands, Mad Max, that sort of thing. You're out right. in the wilds. Shooting raiders, defending yourself, exploring in a dune buggy. And I th I think that game even had a segment that's very similar to uh, the end of the Halo games where you're just zooming through trying not to die as sh massive piles of shit are going on around you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's definitely so a, a shift they, for they sure. They really went heavy on vehicles in the third game and then it culminated in Jack X Combat Racing where it's just entirely vehicle. Right, because we mentioned a little bit in the past before about yeah, we, how this we is have a talked kart racer. About that. Yeah, and it, it found it sounded really off the wall, like because in my head I thought Jack and Daxter was purely a platformer. I didn't think vehicles factored into it, or at least not as a main part of the gameplay. But now, now that you explain, especially the third game being very vehicle centric, now a kart racer kind of makes more sense, I guess. Yeah, that that was what Naughty Dog wanted to do. They were just they were having fun experimenting with vehicle mechanics and then it culminated in Jack X. So I, I get how that happened progressively, 
Right. And, you know, they got to do something that was different from Crash Bandicoot. And the fact that Sony let them, that's pretty cool. I just, after I beat Jack 3, and I know this is a slight tangent, I was so disappointed that Naughty Dog just kind of left the Jack series to sit and never finished it because they built so much lore and developed such a massive world with quite a bit of history and foreshadowed a ton of adventures for Jack and Daxter. Right. Uh, when, when Jack three ends, they throw the fact out there that Jack is the hero of time. Basically (laughs) he is a time traveler who ventures all throughout the, like he travels the galaxy and the world and time and space adventuring with Daxter. They, They basically flat out tell you that at the end of Jack three. So they leave the player super excited, like, holy right. crap, there's a huge amount of content that they can just throw at the player endlessly. And they didn't. But then they left it open in a way so that it's not a bad ending. It's just like, you mean, even if you don't have a sequel, at least you know in your headcanon that they have more adventures, that it's a happy ending they can go out and explore. You may not be able to see that in another game. Yeah. But, right. It wasn't a cliffhanger. Yeah, they like you even there's they talk about this guy who uh founded the ha- founded Haven City in the second game. And I mean we're, we're I'm going to drop a ton of spoilers here, so I'm sorry to those of you who haven't played it, but these games are 17 to 19 years old, so Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't played it, I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is where we're at. Um in Jack and Dexter 2, Haven City, they talk about how it was founded by this guy named Mar. And they talk a lot about the House of Mar, the Seal of Mar. Mar is a very important figure in this world. So much so that there's a giant statue of him at the foot of the palace. (laughs) Okay. At the end of Jack 3, you find out that Jack's birth name was Mar. Oh, so So Jack is the founder of Haven City. Does a statue look like him? Mm, I guess you could kind of see, like it's it's a grizzled old man who's very buff and has a massive beard and he's bald. So, okay. I mean, you can't really. It, it's hard to really get that. And I, I've, this like between Jack two and three, I'm sure they had it planned because those were a year apart. Right. So and it sounds like they point, were scenario written together because of the the same tone, the future setting, and all that. Yeah. So. They they really built this massive world that almost exists entirely on Jack's sol- shoulders, which is super cool, and it left a lot of open-ended possibilities for them to explore the franchise further. So I'm disappointed that Naughty Dog didn't, and I keep hoping against hope that that'll be what's next, because now they're done with Nathan Drake, maybe we can get some more Jack. <laughs> well that's what I was going to say because I'm just looking at Naughty Dog's uh, list of games and it, it was PS2 was pretty much Jack and Daxter mm-hmm. and then when PS3 came out 2007s that's when Uncharted began and you know going for Uncharted and The Last of Us is that they kind of they kind of left the, the cartoon platform way behind and didn't look back right there's nothing remotely yeah. close to Jack and Daxter in the last decade from them really which is kind of interesting 
I guess PS1 was Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, yeah PS1 was Crash Bandicoot, PS2 Jack, PS3 Jack. was uh, Uncharted, and that's when Last of Us started. PS4 yeah. finished Uncharted and Last of Us, both of them. Um, did they do huh. anything else? No. Or was <laughs> that, is that thing. their... So, I yeah. mean, they do good work. I loved The Last of Us. Yeah, but... I've not played it, but I've I've watched a lot of, of stuff from it. Like, it, when I talked before about how I don't have a PS4 and I never had a PS3, I've always been tempted to buy a PS4 to just pick up the exclusives that I missed out on. Like, there's not many of them, but <laughs> Last of Us is definitely one of them. So... Yeah, this is wild. Yeah, they, they totally went from Jack and Daxter to like, you know, it's treasure hunters, serious, you know, environments, Last of Us, total and gritty. Then, yeah. Yeah. So that's I've, interesting. As I understand it, Uncharted is a really good series. There's what, four games that Naughty Dog made in the Uncharted At least. series? There's also some I don't think they yeah. did the handheld one, but yeah, I don't think they did the PSP, but I think they did the main four. That's right. fine. I want to play those. I look forward to playing those. I'm excited to play those. I have them. Um, Last of Us. Loved it. Still look forward to playing the second one. Haven't gotten around to it just yet. Yeah. But So I'm not mad that they dropped Jack and Daxter to make these other games. I'm excited to play these other games they made. I love Naughty Dog. But I'm yeah, disappointed that this franchise was left to just sleep for a long time. And I'm yeah maybe now with PS5 may, with the Ratchet and Clank getting the massive overhaul maybe we'll yeah. get new Jack stories that would be so the, cool I'd love to the, see that the neat thing I've noticed with the uh, the PS5 and the new Xbox <coughs> so like PS3 PS4 definitely the the age of trying to make games being taken seriously as art right and they do that with more very serious adult themes and tones because a lot of gamers now are are you know middle aged so there's that. But now I see we've hit the like the limits of graphic fidelity, I think, for realism. Like it obviously can get better. But they've done amazing work with just the PS4 and the PC, where things look real enough realistic enough that they've done what they can do. There's nothing that's really surprising. About... Yeah, at this point it's not so much about the hardware as it is yeah. about time modeling yeah. and so, developing the software. Right. So the realistic angle of games has kind of been covered already. But when I look at all the previews of stuff coming up for PS5 and Xbox, whatever it's called, <laughs> but the next couple of years, it's a lot of fantasy, the fantastical, right? Non-human stuff. There's a few different games coming out, a lot of them actually, that are amazing, colorful worlds, right? Whether serious or not. So in a world where Ratchet and Clank is probably going to do amazing sales for Sony and PS5, um, the, the graphic stuff there is amazing and it looks amazing. And you can take a cartoon world that's fantastical and do a, amazing stuff with it now with the hardware. So if it does well, I could see the next trend for the next few years being games like this. And I could see Jack and Dexter being brought back or maybe they'll license the IP to another studio to do it. I don't know. But I mean, it, what it, God of War slept for years and then they right. brought it back. So yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. I, yeah. If they don't bring it back, I won't be surprised. I won't be sad. But I'm right. hopeful about them bringing it back right now because it seems like the right time. Yeah. Um, and they, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, the platforming, because I got sidetracked with the vehicle talk, it feels like two and three were very much built off of one. So Jack's base mechanics still exist in two and three. Okay. 
Jack still has the double jump. He still has the roll jump. The you know the the dodge, all that thing, all that stuff is still there. Jack has all that. The only thing he doesn't have is the eco powers that he had in one, because they changed that up to be he was infused with dark eco for a couple of years while he was imprisoned and experimented on before the gameplay of Jack 2 starts. So now, again, dark and gritty game because early (laughs) 2000s, he's got this dark power where he can sort of just beast mode and go apeshit on everything. Okay. For a short period of time until his dark eco power has been spent, and then you have to collect more of these little collect uh not collectibles but uh enemy drops that refill it so those eco powers in the first game then and not being there in the second is it a big loss do you feel gameplay wise or is it is it seem like they weren't really needed it seems like they weren't really needed because in the first game the the eco there's you can sometimes just pick up eco that's either in a chest or drops from an enemy or something like that or there are eco vents that vent out a certain color of eco. Okay. Um, green eco is health. It's that simple. You collect 50 little green ecos, it regenerates one health. Um, okay. At max health, you can collect up to 50, and it'll stockpile that 50. If you lose a health, it immediately takes away that 50 and refills it, and then you're at zero again. Okay. Um, so you can collect either a big orb of green eco which just gives you 50 or a health regardless. It just adds 50 to your counter. You can collect the little ones that add one to your counter, or you can find a vent that completely maxes you out. Okay. Then there's blue eco, which adds as a, a a sort of magnet, like the electricity shield from Sonic three. Oh, that pulls stuff in. It it pulls stuff into you automatically if you just walk by it. So it'll break crates and boxes and everything for you as you cruise by and okay. suck everything to you. Uh, that's either a pickup or vents. Um, and I think they all do the pickup or vents in various places. It depends on the location. Right. Then there's yellow eco, which gives you a projectile, like a fireball projectile. Um, usually you just use it to just shoot in a direction and it... It has a little bit of a homing factor to it, so it's not it's it's pretty forgiving to use. Like I said, there was only a couple of points in the game, three at most, I'm thinking not even that, where you have to go first person and just go nuts like it's a shooter. Right. And then Red Eco, which is mostly useless in my opinion, just makes you hit <laughs> harder. Like that's all it does, is it makes oh, Jack hit harder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so the second the game, majority I can of see... things in the game die with one hit maybe two. Oh. so okay. when you get that you're you are fighting things that die in three or four hits and that will knock them out in one okay but it's 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 kind of an unnecessary buff so i can kind of see how then in the second game where you have guns that you don't need the yellow eco anymore red's just a buff anyway is there like health pickups in the second game instead or how do they they put that in there yeah, there are health pickups. So in the first game, you have three health, and then you have like 50 eco counter that you can have in supply. Okay. And then you have, in the second game, you have eight health, and when you collect a health refill, it regenerates two health. Okay. 
some things hit you for one, most things hit you for two. So it's it's kind of a while. Most of the time it's easier to consider that he has four health instead of eight. But every once in a while you get hit by something for one instead of two. And it's like, oh, okay, extra hit. Okay. <laughs> oh, so, so, I mean, I can see how they swap out the eco for other stuff. But it, it's interesting, though, because like the eco seemed to be such a strong part of the story in the world for Jack and Daxter, at least in the first game. They kind of take that and out. It's kind of awkward. In storytelling, the eco is still there. It's just... They don't really talk about the color of eco so much as they just talk about eco in general right. in the subsequent games. And the metalheads eat eco. So they're trying to get as much eco as possible and stockpile it so they can expand their brood and so forth. Right. And so that's that's a major plot point of the second game. And maybe somewhat of the third. I don't recall too much with the third game. It's been a while. And okay. I'm not on that one again yet. But yeah, it, like eco is definitely very present in two and three, just not in the same way as the first one. It feel it's it it seems more for storytelling purposes than it does for mechanical purposes. Yeah, I mean that's fine too because the first one gives me hints of like I, I, when you first mentioned the colors of eco. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, when does Captain Planet show up? <laughs> right, like the, <laughs> the elemental uh, colors, right? It's a lot of a lot of kids stuff. Uh, kids shows and games are all about the different elements being combined together for you know, environmental heroics and stuff. So that's kind of neat. But if they're taking a gritty turn with it, it seems like they almost went the Final Fantasy route where they made Eco something like um, I can't remember what they call it in Final Fantasy VII, but like the power of Gaia, Mater- right? Uh, the man of oh the Earth. yeah, the uh, Mako. Mako. Marco, right? Yeah, so yeah. that makes more sense. But it's just the tone change between the first and the second game is really interesting to me. How they, they it, it feels like they radically changed the character yeah. and the story. It's it is pretty dramatic. It'd be like from going, what's what would be? It'd be like going from Mario to Grand Theft Auto. Like it, <laughs> it, it's not quite that dramatic, but it's not far off. Uh, now, now I got pictures of Mario picking up hookers in a car. They stole. No, can't. can't <laughs> I guess go there. maybe like <laughs> Mario to Yakuza. There you go. <laughs> That's not much better. <laughs> well, it's still silly. It's just yeah. You know, the, it's it's more dark and has serious tones, but it's does it doesn't take itself entirely seriously. So there you go. Luigi, put down that baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> Why has Bowser got a dragon tattoo in his back? No, that's that's wild. <laughs> yeah, he's the dragon of Dojima. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It it does sound like a very interesting series. And I'm I don't like how I missed this one. Like this this seems like a, a very iconic franchise for the PS2. But it's only the PS2, <laughs> right? It didn't really yeah. go outside that generation of hardware, which is weird to me. It, like not even a hint on PS3. A... No, well, on PS3, the the franchise, all four, I say the franchise, but um, I don't know if Lost Kingdom got dropped onto the PS3 or not, but Jack 1 through X got a physical release on the PS3, and then they got the digital release on the PS4, so it was present in a re-release for the new hardware, that was it. Yeah, but that's more like a, just a, a cash infusion for 
for Sony. That doesn't seem like a new entry to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's odd to me. Yeah, I have to, I do want to go back and check it out. Like, I, I definitely do not confuse Jack and Daxter with Ratchet and Clank anymore. They, after reading up on it and listening to you talk about the two, they're quite distinct. It just, again, for somebody who didn't play a lot of PS2 or pretty much any PS2, <laughs> except recently, uh, there's just, it, there's so many of that kind of game. It's like the, it's like 16-bit era with the animal mascot, you know, platformers. Like the well, game industry tends to get in the trends, PS2 right? PS2 had that with uh, Sly Cooper. Sly Cooper fits oh. into that very much the same way as Jack and Daxter. I forgot Ratchet about Sly and Clank. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, Sly Cooper was in the mix too. Like Sony yeah. had a lot of strong mascot-heavy platformer games. And I think they kind of ended up... I think most people probably leaned to one and didn't bother with the others. Yeah. Well, Sony had this problem where they, they were always trying to find the marquee character for their systems, right? Like Nintendo famously has Mario. Sega has Sonic, right? And there's there's always another Mario or Sonic game on the horizon. Sony never quite had that. I mean, they, they brought out Crash on the PS1, and that did amazing for them. But I don't think mm -hmm. Crash was ever the same league as Sonic and Mario. No, PS1 was, I want to say Crash mostly, and then a little bit Spyro. Okay, yeah, but not the same was, league, Spyro right? Spyro was pretty heavy, too. No, Spyro right. is also Universal and not Sony, but right. I think people sort of attributed Spyro to being similar to Crash, so it was that same vein. But uh, yeah, they like Sony just hasn't really hit it. With PS2, they had uh, all these, plus they had Kratos. <laughs> right, well, it's like if Mario was Superman, right? Everybody knows Superman. Everybody loves Superman. But then Crash is kind of like Shazam. Like, who, who the fuck is Shazam? Nobody knows who he is. Yeah. Right? Like, it's definitely a different league. So I can see that they were chasing, definitely chasing that that franchise for their system. I think the end result for, for PlayStation is that they had a a wider range of great franchises. Maybe like maybe not a standout as, as a Mario game, but they had so much more in other areas. And a lot of solid content. Like, Naughty Dog yeah. is an epic developer. Yeah, yeah I Sony, need to go back to this one. As as much as I and I I have a lot of bitching to to do about Sony during the PS2 era. Um but they also made some great strides as far as new IPs for their platform. Yeah. There was a lot of good they did there despite shitting on all sorts of franchises that were like sprite-based or 2D for the first I don't know, five or six years of the PS2 era, they constantly made developers, if they were porting a game from another platform to the PS2, the sprites had to look 3D rendered. Oh. That was a big okay. thing. Um, huh. Let's, and the most present example I can think of right now is actually East Ark of Nepishtim. If you look right. at it for the PC, the character looks very cartoony. It, it looks like an anime character, as it should, because yeah. it's sprite-based. And, I mean, East is all about looking anime. Even from the beginning, it was, yeah. Yeah. And then when they put it on the PS2, the character kind of loses his charm because he looks like uh, a generic 
and and it, this is the case with all the characters in the game because they had to do it with every single character. They look like a generic 3D modeled PS1 era RPG characters. Huh. Like uh, uh <laughs> there's a game on the Saturn I love that's very much a Zelda like called Shining Wisdom. And I've the character side aside from his red hair, there's really nothing iconic about him. Right? <laughs> okay. This yeah, happens to of... Adol in Ys on the PS2. Huh. He there's nothing iconic looking about the character except for his red hair. And he ends up looking like the character from Shining Wisdom. Just <laughs> not as dumpy. <laughs> like generic chrono from Chrono Trigger. Just red hair and that's it. Red red hair, beady eyes, armor. Yeah. That's what it was there... boiled down to. Instead of being a character with charm and details and that that's what they made him do so that was the downside of sony at the time but the upside is the quality of content that they were creating for the gamers so i mean you get the good with the bad i guess and they have since kind of dumped that idea 2d is not dragging their brand through the mud like they thought no in fact it's the opposite there's actually a a large wave of nostalgia for people for for people who are buying the, the the consoles now, there's that nostalgia for 2D stuff, right? And like it's in, right? The Messenger, you know, uh, Rogue Legacy or Cyber Shadow. Like there's a there's a big there's a market for throwbacks to pixel art for sure. Yeah. And like uh, PS3, PS4, Xbox equivalents as well. There's definitely a there's a an over number a, a larger number of rehashing of IP and franchises, right? Trying to get that every two-year iteration of a game, right? The Call of Duties every two years, that kind of thing. There's a lot yeah. of franchises that kind of fell between that where there was less originality because game companies kind of realized that if something works, don't break it. Just redo <laughs> it and rehash it yeah. and put it out again and make millions. But that trend is dying. Like, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's going to be going the wayside with the PS5 like people don't want to spend full price for a game now if it's the same game they played a year ago. Like they, they really don't. There has to be something new in a franchise. I think at this point, at least I hope. Especially when full <laughs> price is seventy. That. Especially if when full price now is seventy US oh. instead of fifty. Back oh fuck! In the don't days get me started. Yeah, that that drives me nuts too. Oh, it's due for a price increase. It's been fifteen years. I'm like yes, but do you think DLC is going to go away? No. <laughs> so, I'm not paying hundred dollars for a game unless it's you know it's something that's new and ref- and fresh. I don't want to rehash, but all right. Anyway, that was a hell of a beefy tangent there at the end. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it at the end of the credits. It's okay. No, th- this but, has been uh, good. Like Jack and Daxter is definitely an iconic PS2 franchise, and I just totally missed it because I never had the console, and I f- I feel bad. I want to go back to it. And I, you know, I I get that the franchise is hit and miss beyond the first game because it does adopt aspects of GTA in terms of the vehicle stuff and right. a lot more gun combat instead of focusing so much on the platforming. But I mean, to a degree, they're still it's it's not a collectathon, but it's a findathon, I guess you'd say, because okay. instead of collecting two thousand orbs and a hundred power cells, I believe the second game lets you obtain a number of power-ups for your weapons as well as you have to find uh to unlock secrets 200 orbs okay 
and they're more well hidden and spaced out and things like that. So it's they're a secret goodie instead of something that you just run around and they're everywhere and it's like, oh, grab it, piece of candy, piece of candy, you know. Like you get something tangible upgrade when you get them. Yeah, like it's it's, it's not for each one. It's more like for every 15 to 20 of them, but. Yeah, well, that's fine. That's that's good. Yeah, I, I don't like it when you have to collect 50 of this fruit and, and 40 of this fish and, and you really get nothing except points on a, a tracker. Yeah, and I think the orbs in that are all for secrets, like big head mode, you can remove Jack's goatee, small head mode. Uh, I think infinite <laughs> that needs ammo to be a feature comes in more at a games. certain point. Right? I, I'm right now in Jack 2, I'm running around with small head mode, and his head is like teeny tiny. We're talking like Beetlejuice at the end of the movie, tiny. <laughs> I want <laughs> and it looks great the in the cutscenes. Look, Nintendo, next Mario game, I want to collect X number of mushrooms and have that mustache go away. That's what I want. I want a shaved Mario. That's what I want. <laughs> That's pretty wild. All right. I think we should wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate you being here with us. And uh, don't forget to jump into our Discord to join the chat. Tweet at us with any uh, complaints you have about my uh, opinions. <laughs> and check out our Patreon where you can find uh, special content where we talk over movies and you can play yeah. an MP3 along with you watching the movie and hear us gush over it, bash it and everything in between. And we promise in those we stay on topic. Kind of. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Tangents. Tangents everywhere. Special thanks for music go to Arthur the Last Ancient on Spotify or The Last Ancient on Bandcamp. For more episodes, please visit our website at pressb2cancel.com. And also, feel free to like, comment, subscribe, and check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon. As always, thank you. This has been Press B to Cancel. Thank you.